this episode of Full of Bones. So if they've got a ballet recital and it's on a deacon's meeting night, deacons can meet without you. You go to that ballet recital. I promise you this, guys. There'll be plenty of deacons meetings, but there won't always be ballet recitals. So you make sure your kids come home. Make sure your wife is taken care of. You make sure that that time is given to her. Dive into today's episode. One of my favorite movies of all time, probably, is Shawshank Redemption. In fact, it's that movie that when it's on TV and you're just flipping through the channels in the evening time, if I see Shawshank Redemption on, I'm probably going to stop and watch it. One year, my wife bought me the DVD to the movie. I never opened it. I just watch it when it's on TV. One of the great lines in that movie is when talking about um, the Andy and, and what he had done, uh, if you've seen the movie, he says, um, geology is the study of pressure and time. That's all it takes, really. Pressure and time. You know, when thinking about church revitalization, those two things come into play with church revitalization as well. Time and pressure. So I've entitled today's episode, Time and Pressure. It's been a while since I've put out an episode on Full of Bones. Part of that is because of time and pressure. If you don't know me, I have been at Mount Tabor for almost 13 years. And about 18 months ago, we were hit by a tornado. And we have been through a process of trying to rebuild and build new. And we have battled um, our county left and right, up and down, and forwards and backwards. And it has been almost two years of red tape, hurdles to climb. And if you've ever built a building, you're probably thinking, I know exactly what you're dealing with. Well, that time and that pressure has mounted on me as the, the pastor, and especially as a church that had been through... A, to a great deal, a, a lot of revitalization, and then to have a tornado in COVID, it seems like we've reset the clock and that we've gone backward. Since I've aired my last episode, we have um, filled a huge position in our church, and we brought on a full-time minister of or pastor of worship and youth, and he's done he fit in great and doing a great job for us, and and that's taken a lot of pressure off of me, and that's important to have people surrounding you. And I know not every church can bring on two full-time staff. It's a huge step of faith for our church and financially is a step of faith for our church. But we believe God is going to bless that. And, and so far he has. And so we're thankful for, for him and his, his leadership and, and, and all that he brings to the table. But when it comes to revitalization, time and pressure uh, become enormous obstacles for us. So let's, let's split them into two parts. Let's talk time and pressure. Let's talk time first. Many churches expect or want churches to grow overnight. Let's get a young pastor and then the church will grow and that will be it. We just That's all we need and young families are going to come. And if we are not careful, if we do not set the expectation early in the local church, in new churches and revitalization churches, that time um, becomes a, a thing that we don't really need to focus on when we're revitalizing a church. Every church is different. Every church is going to take more time to revitalize than another church. But if a revitalization pastor is not committed to six, seven, or eight years or longer, there won't be time 
to revitalize. It does take that long most of the time. Don't think that you can go into a church and in six months you're going to take a church that has died or has been dying for decades and all of a sudden be a healthy, vibrant church because you have to change so much. And we know you can't go in and change overnight. You've got to learn the people, you've got to learn the community, you've got to learn the structure of the church, how is it organized. You've got to identify all of these obstacles that we've talked about in the past. You've got to do assessments. I mean, all of those things take time because not only are you doing all of those things to revitalize the church, you're also having to pastor and shepherd that church, preaching once, twice, maybe three times a week, doing hospital visits, doing home visits, doing evangelism, um, having staff meetings, all of the normal things that churches do, on top of that, you're doing revitalization work. And that's partly why I haven't put out an episode in some time. The time that it's taken us over the summer months to do what we're trying to do, to um, you know, get the building put back up and, and to, to build the new building and to have meetings. And it seemed like every day and every week, the time just went so fast. And all of a sudden you're sitting there on Friday afternoon and you haven't even had a chance to look at a sermon for Sunday yet. So then you're spending Friday night or Saturday writing that sermon, trying to kind of have some focus time and to do that. Now, you may be thinking, well, Matt, that's not me. I, I have so much study time. I don't know what to do with it. And I'm, I'm done by Wednesday for Sunday church. I, I, I praise the Lord for you. Um, but if you're like me, I, I do one sermon at a time. So it's Wednesday night. After Wednesday, I focus on Sunday. And so that takes a lot of time. Sometimes that time is time on Friday night or even on Saturday. Um, before I, what I call putting it in the crock pot, the crock pot. That's where we let all the stuff just stew and kind of meld together. Things taste better out of a crock pot. So time is an enormous challenge to the local church, to the revitalization church, because churches want it to happen now. We, we want to see new families now. We want to see growth now. We want to see income up now. We want everything to happen overnight. It takes years to bring back life to a dying church. It takes years to bring back life to dying people who spiritually have walked this path of a slow church death for decades. See, don't forget, they're wanting you to fix in six months what they've taken six, six years or 16 years or 26 years to get to. Well, if you're taking the interstate from Florida to California, and you get halfway to California, and all of a sudden you realize you meant to go to New York instead, or you needed to go to New York. You don't just all of a sudden turn right and you're in New York. You, you've got you to get back. It takes a process to get back there. It takes time to get back there. The church that has slowly died or is dying is going to take time to revitalize. Time is an important commodity in the life of the revitalization pastor. Set the tone early for that. Do not put expectations. Listen, if you met with that pastor search committee and you told them in six months they're going to be a church of 300 people and that you're going to have a youth group of, of 50 kids and, and, and all of it, you have set the expectation. You've put yourself in a position where in six months they're going to look at you and say, you, you said. So set the expectation early. It's going to be a slow process. There will be months. There will be seasons. There may be years where you don't see a lot of growth. But know that we are growing. Know that we're moving and trying to move into the right direction. 
So time is important. Now, that's the first half of today's episode, right? Time. Because time sometimes is misunderstood by church members and they think that things happen overnight and it should always happen overnight, it leads to the second thing, pressure. There is an undue pressure, an an unfair pressure, I would say, put on the revitalization pastor to make things happen overnight. They expect you to be the miracle worker instead of just being the one who works for the miracle worker, right? So there is a pressure put on you. Now, what happens over time is that pressure builds, and, and I'm saying this because I'm, I'm there, right? I'm, I'm walking this now. I have a tremendous, I feel a tremendous amount of pressure to complete the, the building project that we've begun. Um, I currently have a steel building sitting out in the yard of the church, but we can't, we can't go vertical yet. We can't go vertical until I get a slab. I can't get a slab until I get a water tower because we have to provide our own firefighting water. Don't even get me started on that one. So there's all of these things that are adding up. And now what my church sees, what my people see is there's a building that's not being built. So it's a reminder, right? So that adds to the pressure that I'm feeling. It adds to the pressure of getting things done. So then I end up making phone calls, dealing with the contractor, dealing with the county which is, to be honest, what I spent most of yesterday afternoon and today doing, trying to solve some more problems. Pressure adds up. Now, take that pressure, of if you're in that kind of situation, add to it the pressure of regular church pastoring, which is a tremendous amount of pressure. Add to that the pressure of pastoring during a pandemic, which is an exponentially more difficult pressure to deal with. Add to that the pressure of family, and relationships and kids if you're still in school or seminary you add that pressure to it and all of a sudden we become like the pressure pot that is that is steaming and dying to release some pressure because all of it has been put on us we are bearing too much every day so what are the solutions right so we get it there's time and pressure well if we're not careful time plus pressure it will lead to an explosion, right? It'll lead to a um, us making foolish, bad decisions. It'll make us leave a church thinking it's going to be less time and less pressure somewhere else. And we know that's not true. So what are some solutions to the time and pressure obstacle of church revitalization? As I've said on the time issue, be honest with your folks. It's going to take time. It's going to take years, not months. It's not a weak solution. It's going to take us months just to do an assessment because those assessments take time to organize, to, um, to actually conduct the assessments, to evaluate the assessments, to bring in people to help assess. That takes not weeks, but months, maybe even a year. So you've got a year before you're even ready to begin to kind of lay down some groundwork. Okay, here's the direction we need to go. Now, there may be some obvious things that you can start to move toward and change and and make the church kind of, you know, at least seem like we're moving in the right direction. And that's fine. But the big things, the things that are going to be generational changes, that are going to be transformative, transformative changes that, that, are, that are years down the road, that are they're sustainable, right? I don't want to just transform and revitalize a church for a while I'm at the pastor. I want the next pastor of Mount Tabor Baptist Church to walk in and go, man, that pastor has set me up for success. He has buildings complete. He has a debt that has been paid. He has, an, uh, you know, the, 
the organizational system of the church is in place doesn't mean he can't change any of those things. But I don't want him walking into a mess. I don't want him walking into a half-completed building, and I don't want him walking into you know where there's no systems and there's no no policies and those kinds of things in place. I'm I'm trying to become a generational pastor that will pass on a, a strong church to the next pastor who will simply take it to the next level. That may mean scrapping and changing some of the things that I've done. It may mean just enhancing some of the things I've done. But that's what I want to do. That's that's where I'm seeing my ministry at now is how can I prepare for the next guy to come in here and, and take Mount Tabor. I do believe that I can only take Mount Tabor so far and then I'll, I'll have to go on and somebody will have to come and take it to the next level. I don't know what that is yet. I haven't figured that part out yet, but I do believe that will be the case. And so uh, set the expectation. It's going to take some time. Um, when, when we started here, you know, October will be 13 years. Uh, I, I never imagined I'd be here for a year never imagined I surely wouldn't be here for 10 years. Now I'm the longest serving pastor the church has ever had. There's some rewards to that. There's some benefits to that. Maybe there's some drawbacks to that. We'll save that for another episode. But um, we set the expectation early. It was a difficult road that we were walking. Financially, they were dying. Um, there was less than 30 people. Um, There's about four of them left. Somebody recently said, where, where are the rest of those people? And I said, I've done their funerals. It was an older congregation, and I've done most of those funerals now. So we, we have to understand that, that time, you set the tone early, it's going to take some time. Now, if you're already in a revitalization, let's say you're already in that church, and you're trying to figure out, and they're expecting great things, go back, reset the time clock. Just go to them and say, guys, listen, this is going to take time. I know you're wanting immediate response. You're wanting instant growth, and that's simply not the way it's going to happen. So it's going to take some time. I want you to pray with me. I want you to work with me. I want you to work beside me. I want you to, to, to hold me up in prayer. I want you to hold me up physically if that's what it takes. We're going to walk the road together, but it's going to take time. I'm in it for the long haul, but I need you in it for the long haul as well. So time. On the subject of pressure, how do we deal with the pressure? Get people around you that can take the pressure off wherever they can. Um, as I mentioned, we have brought on a new worship and youth pastor. And one of the sentences that I love right now is somebody will come to me and ask me a question about worship um, or youth. And I say, that is a great question for Rick, <laughs> our worship and youth pastor. It's a great question for him. I don't have to make those decisions. Now, if they go to them and Rick can't answer the question, he may come to me and say, hey, how do y'all do this? You know, Tell me what your policy is or whatever as he's new and he's learning us and we're learning him. But I want our people to know, number one, that he's in charge of those things, not me. That was the whole point of calling him here was to, to take that off of me. And number two, that I trust him to make those decisions, and we're going to walk through those decisions together if that's what it needs to take. Um, and, and third, I want them to see him because he is a pastor of this church. Um, we are a two-pastor church. He is in charge of worship and youth, and I oversee, you know, as a senior pastor, the, the rest of the church. So although he is responsible to me, um, we still serve more as a, a co-pastoring or associate pastor roles because I want people to understand and see him in that light. So as we move forward, the pressure of all youth, because I was doing youth ministry and pastoring, trying to kind of keep it all together. As we move forward, I do less and less with youth ministry. That means I'm at less and less events. Now, I'm still doing some things with the youth. I'm getting ready to go on a mission trip and beach retreat next week and I'm going down there with them and 
but I'm going to be in the background. I'm going to be taking the camera. I'm going to be doing the pictures, doing the things that kind of I, I enjoy because I'm not in charge. I'm not doing, I'll do whatever he asks me to do. He's in charge next week. And so by allowing him to take those things, it, it is an instant relief of me, on me, off me, to, to not have the pressure of something that I don't need to carry. So that, and then the worship was another huge just area that we needed to address. And he has taken that full on, taken that, and, and people come and say, well, you know, what about this about worship and doing this? Let me talk with Rick and then we'll get back to you. So we, we work together on those things as he's taking on that. And eventually that those things won't even come across my desk. Um, so pressure is the, the, one of the options, one of the solutions is simply to, to get people to help take some of that load off. Now, I know. I've been there. I've been there recently. You're a pastor and you have all of it on you because there isn't anybody else. There isn't funds to do anything else. How do you do? How do you get the pressure off? You find areas where you can. You, you find a volunteer. You find something. One of the things that we did is we, we walked away from Sunday night church. And I know you may turn off the podcast when you hear that. But we gave those nights back to families. It not only helped our families, and we heard that from families, but it took a pressure off of me. That was now I was only preparing two messages Sunday morning and a Wednesday night because we do a full worship service on Wednesday night. So I'm preaching twice a week, Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And I wasn't having to try to, and amazingly, taking that one service out relieved a lot of pressure. We did that a number of years ago. So find some areas that maybe you can um, not be. The other thing is the, the leaders you do have working, find a way for them to understand that you don't have to be everything at every event. We have a men's Bible study that meets twice a month. I try to go to one of them. I want our folks to know that I don't have to be at everything for things to happen. Um, the men can meet and have Bible study without me. Now, I want to be there. Um, sometimes family, when we have you know a number of kids, and uh, my wife's out of town right now, and we have just have things going on. It's difficult to, to get to those meetings. But when we do have those meetings and we do have those times, if I'm getting an opportunity to go out and have a date with my wife, then, then the men are going to understand that. So... Uh, teach your people that the pastor doesn't have to be at everything for this for the church to keep doing things right we're not some magical thing that well if the pastor's not there then nothing can happen teach your people it's okay that i'm not at everything that will relieve a great amount of pressure off you because it gives you some more time with family which takes some pressure off there because i know that probably the number one complaint of all of our wives and is that the church is always taking time my 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 worst fear in my own spiritual pastoral journey is this, that my kids will grow up and hate the church because of the time it took for me and the pressure that I was under. I don't want my kids growing up and say, I don't want to be a part of that institutional church because my dad had to come home from vacation to go to do church stuff. And my dad had to not be at my soccer games because of a funeral. My dad had to you know, leave this special event in my life because the deacon called him and they had a meeting. That, that, that I just can't have that happen. And so we have to make that decision, guys. We have to make that decision now. And if you have young kids, make it now. Make it early and say, my kids come first. So if they've got a ballet recital and it's on a deacon's meeting night, deacons can meet without you. You go to that ballet recital. I promise you this, guys. There'll be plenty of deacons meetings, but there won't always be ballet recitals. So you make sure your kids come first. Make sure your wife is taken care of. You make sure that that time is given to her. If that means that you don't go to a men's Bible study or deacon's meeting, so be it. So be it. And and I would challenge you, teach your 
people why that's important. Okay, don't just not show up, but teach them, say, hey, it's important that I'm at my kids' event. I just had twins graduate from high school. It just seemed like yesterday they were three years old and four years old playing t-ball. Now they're graduates. Now they're looking to college and looking to get work and jobs and all those things. And time has passed. And I look back and go, what did I miss because I was at church? What did I miss because I was in a meeting? What did I miss because I was doing, you know, whatever? Now, we've tried to be involved and our kids are involved in church. I'm thankful for that. But I've also got an 11-year-old and I've got a 5-year-old um, right behind him. So, again, I'm still in that mode of I'm going to make sure I'm there for my kids before I'm there for some meeting. So pressure will be released when we find ways to let go of some of the stuff that we have on us. Saying at the end of the day, part of the job as a pastor, it's a great deal of time and it's a great deal of pressure. It is the calling that we have taken. It's a high calling, guys. It's a calling that I never thought I would have, but yet God has called me to it. And so I encourage you, if you're there and you're feeling the time and you're feeling the pressure, welcome to the calling. Welcome to the, 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 the role as pastor. There is going to be a lot of time constraints on you. There's a lot of pressure on you. Know that even though some of it we can avoid, some of it we might be able to hand off. At the end of the day, there's just a lot of time and pressure on us. But that calling by God is a special one. So hang in there. Time and pressure. Don't forget at the end of the day, time and pressure can take a piece of coal and turn it into a diamond. Let God take your ministry with all of its time and all of its pressure and make it something beautiful and you give God the glory for it. Hey, thanks so much. Y'all have a great week. God bless.